0: Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, we are completing Melachim Aleph with chapter 22. As I've noted in the past, the division between Melachim Aleph and Bet is an artificial one. There really is just one Sefer Melachim, but nonetheless, it's exciting to have reached this marker and to be about halfway through the Sefer. The park opens with a period of three years where there is no war between Aram and the Northern Kingdom, which is still led by Ahav. Now, for some time, we've not really heard about the southern kingdom, the kingdom of, the kingdom of Yehuda, and in the beginning of this parak, that changes as we learn that Yehoshaphat, the king of Yehuda, goes to the north to meet with Achav. It's clear that the two men have peaceful, even cooperative, relationships, which is, of course, a very good thing for the nation, which has previously been wracked by civil war. King Ahav tells Yehoshaphat that as part of the terms of surrender, when the north destroyed the armies of Aram, Aram was supposed to relinquish control of Ramot Gilad. but years have passed and they have yet to do so. And so Ahav asks Yehoshaphat if he will join him in battle against Aram to take the land that is rightfully his. And Yehoshaphat says, absolutely yes. Emphatically, he says, my men are your men, my horses are your horses. And so there's more than just a peace and, and cooperation here. There's really a, a high level of, uh, of, of identification with one another. There really is a very strong bond between the north and the south, which is great. Yehoshaphat then adds, though, I'll just ask that we first seek the divine counsel of Hashem to make sure that Hashem deems this the correct and fitting course of action. And that request alone already betrays the difference between Yehoshaphat and Ahav. Yehoshaphat, as we will continue to see, is a very righteous king, while Ahav is, of course, a much more complex and often bad king, an evil king. Ahav then summons roughly 400 prophets of Israel. Now that number is pretty loaded. You'll recall that uh, we were told that Ezebel had 400 po- prophets of Asherah that ate at her table. Uh, and so now, right, so the, the fact that we have now kind of 400 prophets of Israel, 400 prophets of Hashem, that are replacing those 400 prophets, it, it, it might already suggest that there is something artificial or superficial about uh, these prophets, that they're just kind of stand-ins for the old guard, maybe even they're the same people who have just changed their allegiance. In any event, the number 400 to us evokes the, the past when Ezevil had these 400 prophets of Asherah and maybe kind of raises a red flag for us. Of course, it's certainly an improvement on the old state of affairs. These prophets at least operate under the guise of being prophets of God, as opposed to a time, a situation before Harakarmel, when they had these prophets of Baal and Asherah, who were essentially the official worship of the nation. So now you have these 400 prophets, but they're prophets that cause us to, uh, uh, to be a little bit suspicious. And these 400 prophets all agree that indeed Hashem supports this war effort. But Yehoshaphat in some senses, unsatisfied by that response, perhaps sensing that these 400 prophets um, are are not so legitimate, right? Yehoshaphat asks, is there anyone else? Are there any other prophets of God that we could ask? So obviously, 400 is not a big enough number for you, Yehoshaphat. Obviously, it's not a matter of quantity. It must be a matter of quality. Yehoshaphat must have recognized that there was something deficient about these men, so he asks, "Is there anyone else?" And Achav says, "Yeah, there's this one other guy. His name is Michaihu, but he only has negative things to say to me." And Yehoshaphat says, "Great, that's the guy I want to ask." And so they send messengers to Michaihu. The messenger tells them the situation and says, "Look, we told him, you know we told the official message to Hashem to the kings that they should go, that they'll be Matsiyaah, they'll be successful in war. You better toe the line." you better give the exact same message as everyone else. Got it? right? And so you can see he's, he's kind of intimidating Mihaihu, and if we had any doubt about the legitimacy of Achav's prophets up until this point, so now we can certainly say that they were not trustworthy and that they were mouthpieces or yes-men to Ahav, a kind of a rubber stamp, and nothing more. In any event, Michaihu comes before the kings Initially, he seems to be towing the line to our surprise, but then he breaks course and he tells them that if they go to battle, so he foresees that the nation will be like sheep with no shepherd, meaning the king is going to die in this battle. It will not be a successful effort. And he also tells them that Hashem has deceived uh, his prophets to give, to give them, to feed them the wrong message. As a result of his speaking this very painful truth to the kings, Michai is struck down and he is imprisoned. And with his departing words, he swears to Ahav that Ahav is not going to survive the battle. He's not going to return from the battle alive. Ominous words indeed. And of course that is what happens. Despite the fact that when Ahav goes to battle, he tries to hide his identity as king from the enemy. Nonetheless, he is struck by an archer and he bleeds out. However, True to form, Achav has one more great surprise up up his sleeve for us. Always, always there to defy our expectations about him. Um, because you see, in an ancient battle, once you kill the enemy king, the battle is won, and the other the, the the rest of the the rank and file is not going to continue the war effort. However, uh, understanding that Achav. Uh, is able to do something which is rather brave, and that is even though he is, he is dying, and even though he has been hit by this arrow, he has his men prop him up so that the nation will continue to see that he is alive and therefore continue to fight, which they do. But nonetheless, the battle is lost. It is, of course, still quite remarkable that in his dying moments, Ahav once again is able to show himself to be much more complex. He, is, he does something that is really selfless in his dying moments, and so, uh, again, this affirms our assessment of him as not just a wicked king, but a king that had wicked elements, but also some noble elements, and uh, is is a much more complex character with, of course, much more to unpack than, than we have done in these past uh, podcasts, but time has to permit. And uh, at the moment, we could only uh, uh, explore uh, to to the degree that we did. In any event, again, in his dying moment, uh, quite remarkably, Achav shows us to be, shows himself to be, a much more complex character. We're then told that the dogs lap up the blood from his chariot, which fulfills the prophecy of Ahav's death, which was pronounced already by Eliyahu. Um, he is buried in the Shomron, and his son Ahaz Yahu takes the throne, takes the throne of the north, and then the Sefer's attention turns to the south. In the south, we learn that Yehoshaphat as I've noted before, was this great king. He followed and even exceeded in the, in the ways of his father, Asa, who was likewise a righteous king, but Yehoshaphat goes even further, cleaning out uh, Yehuda of pagan worship above and beyond the program that his father had put in place, above and beyond the degree to which his father was able to rid the south of pagan worship. As an aside, we learn that Yehoshaphat spent, sent an expeditionary fleet uh, of boats which was meant to go to Ophir to collect gold in the same way that Shlomo did. But the boats were unable to succeed in this task. And then Ahazyahu offered to team up his efforts with Yehoshaphat uh, to, to try and undertake this, uh, this task. But Yehoshaphat rebuffs his offer. And I think that this is meant to teach us that Yehoshaphat, while he was initially very open to, co- to cooperating with the north, he was even prepared to go to, to war with them, which he did against Aram, but now, you know, having been burned from that situation, uh, so now the relations have cooled between the north and the south, and he's not even willing to engage in this kind of joint venture with the northern kingdom so i think that's meant to be a kind of barometer to tell us to take the temperature of the uh of the relationship which at one point was was very strong was very close my men are your men my horses are your horses after the war with aram now there is more distance between the north and the south the parak then ends by telling us that Ahaziahu was no better than his father continued worshiping foreign gods and caused the nation to sin and so we have in the northern kingdom a kind of a downward spiral following a pattern of sin and punishment And then we have the south, uh, which is, of course, much more promising, following a much better pattern. Uh, And we have yet another king that uh, follows in the ways of Hashem and is leading the south back to prosperity and to a similar status uh, as was achieved at the height of Shlomo's rule. And with that, we end Malachim Aleph. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.